And then the man behind the desk cleared his throat, and he spoke. I regret, kind sir, that I am not. It's not at all as you suppose. I am, in fact, the governor of the Broadmoor Criminal Lunatic Asylum. Dr. Miner's most certainly here, but he is an inmate. He's been a patient here for more than twenty years. He's our longest-staying resident. Although the official government files relating to this case are secret and have been locked away for more than a century, I've recently been allowed to see them. What follows is the strange, tragic, and yet spiritually uplifting story that they reveal. The Dead of Night in Lambeth Marsh Murder Noun The most heinous kind of criminal homicide, also an instance of this, in English, also Scottish and American law, defined as the unlawful killing of a human being with malicious aforethought, often more explicitly, willful murder. In Old English, the word could be applied to any homicide that was strongly reprobated. It had also the senses great wickedness, deadly injury, torment. More strictly, however, it denoted secret murder, which in Germanic antiquity was alone regarded as, in the modern sense, a crime, open homicide being considered a private wrong, calling for blood revenge or compensation. Even under Edward I, Britain explains the ancient French meurtre only as felonious homicide, of which both the perpetrator and the victim are unidentified. The malice aforethought, which enters into the legal definition of murder, does not, as now interpreted, admit of any summary definition. A person may even be guilty of willful murder without intending the death of the victim, as when death results from an unlawful act which the doer knew to be likely to cause the death of someone or from injuries inflicted to facilitate the commission of certain offences. It is essential to murder that the perpetrator be of sound mind, and, in England, though not in Scotland, that death should ensue within a year and a day after the act presumed to have caused it. In British law, no degrees of guilt are recognised in murder. In the US, the law distinguishes murder in the first degree, where there are no mitigating circumstances, and murder in the second degree. In Victorian London, even in a place as louche and notoriously crime-ridden as Lambeth Marsh, the sound of gunshots was a rare event indeed. The marsh was a sinister place, a jumble of slums and sin that crouched dark and ogre-like on the bank of the Thames just across from Westminster. Few respectable Londoners would ever admit to venturing there. It was a robustly violent part of town as well. The footpad lurked in Lambeth. There had once been an outbreak of garrotting, and in every crowded alley were the roughest kinds of pickpocket. Fagin, Bill Sykes and Oliver Twist would have all seemed quite at home in Victorian Lambeth. This was Dickensian London, writ large. But it was not a place for men with guns. The armed criminal was a phenomenon little known in the Lambeth of Prime Minister Gladstone's day, and even less known in the entire metropolitan vastness of London. Guns were costly, cumbersome, difficult to use, hard to conceal. Then, as still today, the use of a firearm in the commission of a crime was thought of as somehow a very un-British act, as something to be written about and recorded as a rarity. Happily, proclaimed a smug editorial in Lambeth's weekly newspaper, we in this country have no experience of the crime of shooting down, so common in the United States. So, when a brief fusillade of three revolver shots rang out shortly after two o'clock 
on the moonlit Saturday morning of February the 17th, 1872, the sound was unimagined, unprecedented, and shocking. The three cracks, perhaps there were four, were loud, very loud, and they echoed through the cold and smokily damp night air. They were heard, and considering their rarity just by chance instantly recognised, by a keen young police constable named Henry Tarrant, then attached to the Southwark Constabulary's L Division. The clocks had only recently struck two, his notes said later. He was performing with routine languor the duties of the graveyard shift, walking slowly beneath the viaduct arches beside Waterloo Railway Station, rattling the locks of the shops and cursing the bone-numbing chill. When he heard the shots, Tarrant blew his whistle to alert any colleagues who, he hoped, might be on patrol nearby, and he began to run. Within seconds he had raced through the warren of mean and slippery lanes that made up what in those days was still called a village, and he'd emerged into the wide riverside swamp.